Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, thank you for this day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you for the awesome gift of Jesus Christ that you sent into this world to die upon the cross as a lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We give you thanks that you are a good father and give good gifts to your children. And through the spirit of grace, you have opened the heavens towards us and we receive the glorious riches and the lavish extent of your treasure, of all those things that are in heaven laid up for us, we pray that they would be poured down upon us through your mighty goodness and kindness through which you look at us, O oh God. We pray, Father, that you would give us understanding today, that you would open our hearts, that you would let us see through your word as a lamp unto our feet, as a light unto our path, as the good seed that brings forth good fruit. We pray that your word would be a double-edged sword and cut away those things that don't belong into our lives and surgically repair and restore those things that should be in our hearts and in our thoughts. Bless and prosper your word in our lives, in our families, in the responsibilities and chores you give us upon the earth and have mercy upon us, Lord. Allow your grace to abound towards us in great measure so that we might inherit all those things that you have laid up for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Um, the, the, the theologians, those who study the, the, the spiritual aspects of God upon the earth, have all decided to, to display different seasons upon the earth that have fallen to man. Different seasons. The, the, the historical, like Nick says, Nick was able to say something that was super powerful. You have moments and periods of time where which certain things should happen. Uh, I really think that even from the time we were born, the family that we're in, God had supernatural purposes in that family to pursue and to perform upon the earth. God uh, put people in certain wombs at certain times so that they would grow up with certain people. And the devil has done a good job in separating and divorcing these relationships. It was never uh, God's, uh, God's thoughts. He says, what God has put together, let no man put separate, put asunder. Um, so in that coming together, there's purpose and relationship and provision. When that thing is broken off, he described it like this. A house divided won't prosper, won't prevail, won't achieve its purpose. So that God is putting all things back together in its place in its time. And so in different times and periods upon the earth, man has seen. Um, they've called these periods of time uh, dispensation periods. God is dispensing. He's, he's giving um, provisions to man. And so they've been able to determine, um, everybody's in agreement, that there's seven periods of times that have happened upon the earth all since the first men were upon the earth. Uh, man's relationship with God since day one. The first dispensation, I have them listed here so I wouldn't forget them. Um, the dispensation of innocence. 
In that time, God had given man the ability to live upon the earth in a manner that he intended to replenish the earth, to subdue it, to take dominion, to care for the garden, to eat of its fruit. Um, God had warned man of punishment, of physical and spiritual death for disobedience. And this period of time is called the, the first dispensation. The first period of time upon the earth, the dispensation of innocence. Now, many times throughout my lifetime, I have always said, Lord, man, how would have it felt like if I would have been part of that time? How, how, how would it have been to walk with the animals, with the lions, uh, and just, just have a, a, a state and dispensation of innocence? No anger upon the earth. How many would love a life with no anger, right? No sadness. Everything was a paradise. Everything was beautiful. And so in that period of time, God had set apart. Now, all of it comes to an end, we know, through man's sin and disobedience and rebellion. The second dispensation is called the dispensation of conscience, where now man is responsible and left alone to his own way of dispensing with life upon the earth. And he is left to do his own will according to his conscience. Second dispensation, you live according to the morals in your mind. We can't do that nowadays. This is not the dispensation of conscience because the conscience of man has been seared. He no longer knows what's right and wrong. If you're a parent, you know that. You're constantly telling your kids, don't you think? Don't you... And, and so we can't live this dispensation of conscience anymore because our conscience has been totally overtaken by selfishness and by sin. Uh, the third dispensation, a dispensation of government. That means somebody else has to care for you because you've lost your ability to care for yourself. So God established it a period of judges upon the earth. And he, he made governments come together to care for the substance of man gone wrong. Uh, the fourth dispensation, a dispensation of promise. We see Abraham during this time, God had promised him to become a patriarch. I always like to show Genesis 18, 18. This is, this is fundamental for us to be prosperous. And it says, I will make of Abraham a great and powerful nation. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through him. Well, why would God pick one man to bless all the nations of the earth? Why would he be powerful and mighty, great nation? Verse 19, because he would teach his children according to my commandments. Let's go to the next verse. I've chosen him because he will direct his children and his family to keep the way of the Lord and do what is right according to the word of God. Well, in my family growing up, there was a Bible, and it was open to Psalm 23 in the living room, and we would all go like this real quick, and... And nobody read the Bible. So we didn't know what God wanted. So another dispensation had to come. And that dispensation would be the dispensation of the law. Fifth time period upon the earth. It went from Abraham, a life of, of uh, a man who loved God and watched over his household, keeping the way of the Lord, doing what was right. Uh, we don't know many fathers nowadays that are sitting to read the Bible with their children. That fathers grab their children and they take them to the theaters and then the theaters show them Harry Potter and the Avengers and all the stuff that twists the mind of, of the heart of our children. But then here it goes, 
It says the next dispensation, dispensation of the law. Because men had decided not to follow God with their heart, God put it down in the Mosaic law, all the things they had to keep. Fifth dispensation, period of time where the people would live according to the law of God. Moses went up to the mountain and came down with the Ten Commandments. And so this period of time would be governed by the Ten Commandments, by the laws. There's over 360 laws in the Jewish um, um, historical, biblical uh, definitions. Here goes the sixth dispensation. It started as soon as Jesus Christ died. This dispensation called the dispensation of grace. From the time Jesus died to the time that he comes for his church. They call it the church age. It's a real powerful time period. It's no longer the age of innocence. It's no longer the age of conscience or government or um, the law or promise. It's the time where God says, ready for this? Here it goes. Ready? This, don't miss this. Since they can't do it for themselves, I will do it for them. Woo! Hallelujah! Listen. Since you can't do it, I'll do it. I'll send my son. And he will wash away all their sins, all their depravity, all the junk. And I will give them my grace, my favor. I will adorn them. I will give them my Holy Spirit. I will give them the Bible. I will write my laws upon their heart and on their thoughts. It will no longer be exterior. It will be internal. The power of God's spirit inside of us. Living this stuff out. And I was blown away. You, you guys know all the songs that are out there right now. I was blown away when I met Grace. When I saw what God had done. It was too, too far gone to be true. God would justify me. Just if I had never sinned, this part of grace is supposed to be the most glorious time upon the earth. That God in us is the hope of glory. That God is doing a work in us that we could never do with any sermon, any preacher, any religion, any fasting. No work could come even close and remotely. To allow us to come to the place of God's pleasure. It's something he did in himself. And so this period of time called the dispensation of grace. From the time Jesus came to announce it. To the time where he's coming back for those people that are in his grace. I want to tell you. It's the most formidable time upon the earth. To not be under religious rule or human rule or even conscience rule. But it's to be under the spirit of grace. That, that we should look into these matters in a manner which would give us understanding. Now the very first time we hear of anything like this in Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. It shows the depravity of human existence upon the earth. It says that the Lord saw how great the wickedness of human had become upon the earth. I, I want to ask a question here and don't answer it out loud because you might offend somebody. How sinister is man's wickedness? How, how do you gauge how wicked a man could be? 
And so it seems to be, it doesn't matter how expressive we are on how dark and depraved man could be, it goes even worse. It goes even ten times worse. Right now they're passing laws telling school teachers that if a girl comes into class and wants to be called a boy, if you don't call her a boy, you get sued and kicked out of your job. That's twisted. That's depraved. Uh, twisted, it's just a perverted, it means out of place, out of order. That's what it means to not, not live your life according to accomplished order. So the greater the things are in order, the more peace we have. The more things are out of order, the more stress and anxiety and hardship we feel. If you're overrun by anxiety and by uh, feelings of panic attacks, if you, you should check your order life. You're meddling in affairs that don't pertain to you. And so my, my brother tells me that today the dispensation of, of pharmaceuticals for people that are going through anxiety disorders are through the roof crazy. These companies are becoming multi-billionaires because you're worrying in things and matters that don't pertain to you. God has given you a realm and a jurisdiction for you to have peace and to enjoyment. Well, I'm going to go over here and meddle in some affairs because I'm buck wild and I'm... Uh, you're just going to be overtaken by demons. The Bible says that he who pushes down a wall will be bitten by a serpent. That means you come out of your territory, you come out of your jurisdiction, you're in the field not of the kingdom of God. There's no more joy and peace and righteousness. There is sadness, depression, there's depravity, there are feelings that were never supposed to be in your heart. Uh, all the manner of the heart issues that are uh, uh, falling upon men today is that they're getting into realms that God never desired man to come. So here, here at the beginning of Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw how great wickedness was upon the human race and had become upon the earth. And the inclination, this is where wickedness starts, when your thoughts come out of the realm of the meditating upon God, the every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. This is fast and furious, evil, wickedness, thoughts that are twisted, thoughts you should not have, pursuits that God never wanted nor intended. So in that manner of darkness and twistedness, and you could say, that's my family, that's my community, that's my nation, that's my political party or affiliates, the uh, Bible says in verse 7, let's go to verse 6, let's, let's go to the next verse. The next verse, in the midst of that wickedness and depravity, it says, The Lord regretted that the humans were upon the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. This, my friends, is what, what Paul was feeling last week when we were talking. He was sad. At one moment, he says, man, I'm so close to God, and God's so close to me, and this is never going to come to an end, and this is forever, and I'm just going to... And then he says, but my heart is broken because there's people that still haven't come. So this is God. Everything is twisted. Heart is broken. What will he do? Verse 7. He regrets that he, man is upon the earth. His heart is deeply troubled. And he says, I'm going to do away with the human race. Everything I've created, all the animals and birds and creatures along with them, I regret that I've made them. Sometimes you feel like, okay, um, I'm never going to talk to this person again. I'm never going to go to their house again. I'm never going to be their friend again. I'm never, and then you know what happens? Verse 8, he says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This, this expression of there's something in his life that caused the heavens to open. So God begins to say, hey, Noah, build an ark. Hey, Noah, bring your family along. Hey, Noah, be the preacher of righteousness. 
He began to proclaim, everybody, get on the ark because God's going to come. And so he begins to issue forth the element of grace. He gives one man grace, and that gives it to his wife, gives it to his three sons and their three wives, and eight people jump on this ark. Nobody else listened. Nobody else wanted grace. He wanted them to. God wanted them to. He had provided a way out, but they did not come. And so there it is. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And when you find grace in the eyes of the Lord, it's what we said. God starts doing it for you. God starts pouring out an element. Uh, say with me grace just so that you become accustomed to this word. Grace. In Spanish, gracia. Dios te lo da por gracia. No, nothing you've done. It's something that is a gift. That's another word for it. Now, uh, a lot of people are confused about this area, so they begin to look into it. 1 Peter 1.10. This salvation that would come, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. This salvation that would come, many men called prophets, messengers of God, spoke of the grace that was to come to you. So it wasn't in the old days. This was not available. We see it there, a little glimpse in the life of Noah. But then throughout the period of the promise and then the law and throughout this time, there was no expanse. God expected man to come to a level. And then all of a sudden, the prophets begin to speak of the grace that would come. They saw things that God would speak saying, you know something? Since you're not doing it yourselves, I'm going to do it. Since you're not doing it yourself, I'm going to do it. We see a passage like that in the book of Ezekiel chapter 32. We're going to see that God says, I was looking for a man. I was looking for somebody that would be able to, to walk in this reality. And you'll see the, the travesty there. Let's look for that real quick. Mm-hmm. He says he was looking for a man and could not find such a one. And so there he says, because there was no man, he took it upon himself. He says, I will do what I have planned. What, what was it that God was planning from a long time? He was planning on making provision for salvation for all these men. Uh, let's go ahead and look for it here. Say it again. 2230. Let's look at that. Yes, there it is. Thank you, sir. Uh, Ezekiel 2230, he says, I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me. How many, how many, listen to what's going on here. He's looking for a man in every family that will stand as a spiritual protection over his house. If we left it up to man, what would happen? He's lazy, he's irresponsible, he is lifting up other idols, he's into pornography, he's into impurity, he's unfaithful, he doesn't want to carry the weight of that responsibility. He says, I look for a man among them who would build up a wall and stand before me in the gap on, on my behalf of the land so it would not have to be destroyed, but I found no one. He didn't find anyone that could do this. So the dispensation of grace is, I'm going to pour out a measure of grace. I'm going to pour out a measure of grace that will allow these men to experience. So here it is. Let's go back to um, 1 Peter 1.10. Of this salvation that would come, 
the messengers of God spoke of the grace that was to come, and they searched it, they searched intently. What's searching for something intently? I need to find out what this is. With the greatest of care, how is this salvation going to come to pass? Now, the way it would come to pass is God says, since man is not walking in it, I'm going to let it fall upon him. Let's go to Titus 2.11. Listen, right. Here it goes. These men were searching out what is the substance that would allow man to get away from darkness, depravity, not following after his immoral conscience, not being rebellious, not being disobedient. He says, for the grace of God has appeared. It has shown up in who? In Jesus. As soon as Jesus comes, the full gambit of God's grace. He says, you know something? Uh, Jesus paid for it. Jesus was the, the purchase price. The grace of God has appeared. And what does the grace of God do? It offers salvation to everyone, to all people. This is God is going around, knocking on the hearts of men, saying, do you want to come and be part of my grace? But what is your grace? Do I have to join a religion? No, it's not a religion. Well, do I have to do something? No. It's freely given. Um, we're going to see that now. It says you've been saved by grace and not by works. It's a gift of God. This, this thing that God would hand you and all, it's, all of heaven is opened up. All of heaven is opened up to have an inventory of vast riches in his grace. So the grace of God has appeared offering salvation to all people. When, when we were reading Ephesians 1 verse um, 5 this week in, on Wednesday, it says he had predestined this as an adoption. It's almost like a family that's already prepared to take you in through Jesus Christ according to the pleasure of God in his will. What is this? Verse, verse six, 6. The praise of his glorious grace. The celebration of God saying, I, I want to ask you a question. Why would God do this? Because he feels like it. Because nobody's going to tell him what to do. Through his glorious grace, which he has, say with me, freely given us. Freely. There's nothing you could do. It bugs people to get something free. Are you the type of person that somebody gives you a gift, you're like, no, man, come on, take it back. Let me pay for it. Okay, at least half. And you're trying to, you're trying to do stuff. It's a gift. You didn't do nothing to earn it. You can do nothing to get it back or, or to pay for it. So grace is like that, and it bothers. Grace bothers people. Why? Because men say, okay, if I do 50 Hail Marys and 42 Our Fathers, and I walk around the, the you know, I walk four miles on my knees, if I, could, if I could sacrifice a goat or a dove, if I, could, if I could do something, a sense of accomplishment. That's why religion is so big, and grace is an offense to many people. Grace is an offense, especially for the Jewish people who told Moses, you go up there and you tell God whatever he wants us to do, we're going to do it. And that will show him that we're ready for salvation. And so he went up, got the Ten Commandments. He went up. He kept on getting commandments and commandments and commandments and commandments. And he says, if you break one, you've broken them all. Because God was showing them it's not about what you can do. It's not about how holy or how perfect you are. It's how awesome our God is. Amen. How awesome our God is. 
Romans 8, chapter uh, 8, 32, we saw this also, that because it's through grace that he did not spare his son, but he gave him up to us all, how will he not also with him through grace give us all things? The first thing and great thing he's done is he's given us his son. Now, what would you have to do to get your son to die for somebody else? And then that person come back and says, you know, you, I had this horrible disease and you killed your son to give me all his organs. I want to pay you. And you're like, brother, are you insane? No amount of money in the world can pay for what I gave you for free. You can't put a price on it. You can't come and calculate. You can't build me houses. You can't give me lands. You can't do anything for me. You can have a heart of gratitude. You could be grateful for the expression of my gift. But that is what Christianity is supposed to be all about. Not doing things, but being incredibly, immensely favorable to God because he first loved us. He first gave us things that we could not even dream. So he says he did not spare his son. He gave him up to with us. How will he not also through, listen, through grace, graciousness, give us everything. So now the element is this. What is missing in your life? And where do we go to receive the provisions of heaven towards us? Um, I believe it's Hebrews 4.16 tells us where that place is. Where do I get grace, pastor? I like it. How many like it? I like it. I want all grace to abound, Paul would say. I want all grace to continue to fall upon my life. I got a wife not because I'm good looking. I got a wife because my God is good. Amen. Amen. It's the grace of God. Let's, let's read that, Hebrews 4.16. He says, we can go before the Lord. And obtain grace. Let us approach God's throne of grace. When you kneel down, you need to know that this place is available. You kneel down and you close your eyes. And you say, Father, I come before the throne of your grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. What for? That we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What is it there in that throne room? What is it there that when we could bow down and come before the throne of his grace? You guys know what a throne is, right? A place of rule and authority. And that place is huge. And you now bow down. And the Bible says through faith in Jesus Christ, we could come before the throne of his grace with confidence. You don't have to come there begging. You don't come there saying, God, if you can pretty, 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 little, little, pretty, please, you know, cross my heart. Stab my eye. All the things that we try to do to get favor. He says, no. Just come before my throne of grace because the doors are open because of Jesus Christ. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. We see that we can find grace to help us in our time of need because this salvation, for it is by grace you have received salvation through the faith you have adopted. This not because of your strength or your ability. It's a gift of God. It's a gift of God. And so as we're sharing this, since it's a year of looking out for the best interests of others, that means we're not looking for our interests, we should already been totally saturated by the goodness of his grace, we need to go and proclaim the grace of God to all men. The gospel 
uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul says, I, I want to do everything possible that I can go and take this message of grace to all people. He says, uh, let's read that, Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He says, I don't, however I consider my life worth nothing to me, and my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task. The Lord has given me a task of testifying to the, new, to the good news of God's grace. There's people out there, the santeros and, and babalaos and mamalaos and madrinas and padrinos. They don't know about the grace of God. They're stuck in religion. They're stuck in sacrifice. They're stuck in doing promises. They're, they're trying to compete for God's goodness. And the grace of God is huge. And that's why Paul was saying in Ephesians 1, uh, verse 6, he says, This grace is a lavish to the praise of this glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Talking about Jesus, he's given to us through Jesus. Verse 7, in him. Because of this grace, we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sins, according. All this are the treasures, the wealth of that bank account of God's grace. Nothing we've done, nothing we'll be able to ever do. It's just his goodness. His, his amazing. Now, I want to tell you that as we talk about this, a lot of people are saying, well, because God's grace is in my life, I'm going to get a girlfriend. Because God's grace is in my life, I'm going to continue to cheat and steal and to lie. And that, my friend, is called twisted grace. That's, that's when you're, 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 you're stepping on bounds that he would never do in his righteous judgment. You're not supposed to be walking that. Verse 8, the riches of his grace... That he gives me all things which he lavished on us, giving us all wisdom and understanding. The grace of God. Gentlemen, ladies, the man standing before you today was dumber than a doornail. Totally foolish. No good thoughts. No ability to retain information. If you talk to my teachers, the first poor women, I think they're going to heaven just because they had to deal with me. Horrible, twisted, just, just all manner of ungodly thoughts. Not one good thought ever passed my mind in all those years until the grace of the Lord appeared. Why? Titus chapter 2, verse 12. You might have forgot, but we talked about this verse today already. It teaches us to say no to things that are not from God. What is it? Is it that little creature in the Adams family? No. It is the verse before, verse 11. The grace of God has appeared to all men offering salvation. The grace of God has appeared, say with me, to all men. Amen. That includes women, mankind. That's the verse. To all mankind. There's not one person upon the earth who the grace of God is not trying to reach, trying to, to give everything God wants. I mean, he gave his son. He's serious about what he wants, so it includes everybody. He, he, he has a lifestyle and span that reaches far what we even dreamed in his goodness. I'm telling you, I'm living a dream the last 32 years. I just can't believe it. Sometimes I pinch myself. 
Sometimes I want, hey, tell me that this, listen, what, what I'm living, what I'm experiencing far surpasses the nightmare and the fear I had in my life. When he showed up with his grace, why? Verse 12 says, because it teaches us, the grace of God teaches us to say no to things that are not from God and no to living like the world's passions. It's the grace of God is like rocket fuel. It shoots you into the purpose of God. And without grace, say, I'm a disgrace. disgrace. Absolutely, we even have a word for it. Un desgraciado. This guy is, is a total degenerate, perverted, twisted. He has no grace of God in his life. He doesn't make right decisions. He doesn't make right choices. He doesn't walk with right people. He doesn't pursue right ministry. He doesn't know how to find, uh, uh, steward his wealth with righteousness. The grace of God teaches. Say, grace, grace. teach me. Grace of God, teach me. Teach me things that are godly and not worldly. To live with self-control. I had a man in my office last year, and he says, look, I'm going to be real honest with you. This is what his dilemma was, right? Super wealthy man. He says, I could say no to nothing. I can't stop myself. I have no boundaries. I can't say no to be faithful in a marriage relationship. I can't say no when I'm going to buy a car. I can't say no when I'm going to lead my family. I can't say no to my daughter. I, I, I have no ability to put boundaries. Everything is, yeah, 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 yeah. And he says, I'm a, I'm a, I have a codependent addiction with an inability to say no. Say with me, tantrum. tantrum. Have you ever seen a little kid you can't say no to? And he throws him, ah! There's no boundaries. He says the grace of God comes so I could live with self-control, so that I could be upright, have a good heart, godly lives in this present age. Have you heard anybody tell you, oh, eso de la Biblia es para ayer? Eso es para la Biblia es para la antigüedad. That's for the old times. That's for the old folks. That's for the ancient times. That's not for today. Today's modern, brother. You got to be modern. No, listen to me. The grace of God to live godly in this present age. It's not old-fashioned. It's all-time fashion. And that's the grace of God. And then verse 13 tells you why. So that you can, verse 13, get prepared while we wait for that blessed hope, expectation we have when Jesus comes back. I want my life to be filled with grace. And when he comes back, he says, look what you've done. Look at what you've done. Look what God has done in me. Not what I've done in me, not my strength, not my religious seal, not my pharmaceutical convictions. No, what God's goodness has wrought in me. The, the smile in my face shows the grace in my heart. I have peace because nothing pulls me in the wrong direction. The grace of God is jet fuel to get me to the right direction. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 says, be careful, my friend, because if you do not obtain grace... See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. If you're not in grace and you fall short, you're a disgrace. Because roots of bitterness will come in and they will trouble and defile you. You'll start playing in your brain all manner of stuff that God never intended you to play with. You'll be playing like match with God. Well, God, I went to church this week so I don't have to go next week. I got up and read a Bible verse today so I don't have to read one. And you're, you're full of junk. 
You're, you're debating how godly you are and how there's no more godliness in your life than have the full grace of the Lord Jesus Christ upon your life. There's nothing else you could do. So then Paul would tell Timothy, make sure you grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ because God gives grace to the humble and he resists the proud. That means he stands far. He says, make sure that no one falls short of this grace lest you'll be really messed up in that regard. I want to tell you that the grace of God has been thoroughly, thoroughly and lavishly poured out. The extravagant measure of which we still haven't even tapped into. We haven't tapped into the goodness of God at that level. Um, this man tried to give an illustration of what it was to have the grace of God in your life. And he says that there was a young girl and she had left work early because she wanted to have some time of interrupted study before her final exam in her religion class. She studied all night, and when she arrived at the class in the morning, she didn't go to sleep. Everybody was cramming much last-minute to-do information in their minds that they, their, their brain could handle. And the teacher walked in and said, let's do the, a, a quick review before the test. And they followed him through the review that was laid out on a study guide. As he covered item by item, he finally jumped to the issues the young girl had never heard covered in class. Several hands went up and said, we never had, we've never heard this information before. And the teacher picked up the textbook and she said, I told you guys that everything that was in the book was going to be on the test and you would be clearly responsible for everything in the book. Who could argue with that? Finally, it was time to take the test. And all the helpers passed out the test, and the professor said, leave your test face down on the desk until everyone has uh, received one. I'll tell you when to turn your paper over and start. Two minutes later, the class heard, okay, you may start. When the young girl turned over her test, every answer on the test was filled out. A note at the bottom of the page said, your final exam is now over, and all your answers are correct. You are blessed with an A on the final exam. At that point, the teacher said like this, she said, um, you guys have just experienced what grace is all about. You have just experienced grace. And so in the light of that reality, and we know that to be real, we can enter into his rest. We could enter into a manner to say, you know something? Instead of me being all caught up about church and going to read the Bible and hanging out, I need to tell people about what God has done. I need to go and be, like Nick said, I need to be the, the manifest reality of what people are missing when they're falling short of his grace. Let's stand this morning and, and say, God, I wish somebody would have told me this a long time ago. I wish somebody would have mentioned this, this regard uh, way before uh, today, but... It's, it's a great day for the grace of God to be in your life. They would talk about this grace being in our life in Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1. Isaiah would speak these words that blew the minds of all those that were around him. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord, spirit of grace is upon me. Because the Lord has poured it out for me to proclaim his good news to the poor. How many know that poor people need to understand his grace? You know what his grace is for the poor? Open heavens. Provision beyond your capacity to understand. I, I need to proclaim this good news to the poor. I need to go and set 
He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, people that are sad. There's provision in his grace for incredible adorning. To proclaim freedom to the captive and release from darkness for those that are prisoners of darkness. Verse 2. All the elements of his grace to proclaim the year of the Lord's grace. The day that God is going to get even with our enemies. To comfort all those who mourn. I, I want to say that, that everything, and, and Nick was saying it last night. He didn't say it this morning. But he says, have you seen all those weird, twisted, bizarre people that have walked in here and received the grace of God? How he has healed their broken hearts. How he has comforted them, embraced them. He set them on a different course from foolishness to wisdom. Those that were mourning, he says in verse 3, let's watch this, what it says. To comfort all who mourn, to provide those who grieve in Zion, to bestow upon them a crown of beauty. So many people, the devil has said they're ugly. They go out and get tattoos on every part of their body. They're trying to adorn themselves with substance of value and beauty. And they don't know that there's a crown of beauty that God has given. Instead of ashes, an oil of joy instead of mourning. Garments of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. How many know that when you have God's grace upon your life, it's attractive? Super attractive. People say, hey, did you go get a plastic surgery? No. I got open heart surgery. The Lord came in and gave me his grace. I have his grace now. I have his grace. I have his goodness. I ha I've been accepted. I've heard the gospel of the good news of his grace. I've received it. And if you want to receive it this morning, if you raise your hand, Raise your hand towards the heaven. Say, Lord, may all grace abound towards me. May you adorn me with the peace, the joy, and the righteousness of your goodness in Christ Jesus. Not because of my works. Not because of my efforts and my work. Not because I studied hard or because I memorized. You bestowed upon me your goodness. And that gives me excellence in every affair of life. Thank you for the spirit of grace that I not offend it and try to compete or try to work for things that you have given me freely in Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Greet one another in the love of the Lord.